Angus at Work, a podcast for the profit-minded cattlemen. Brought to you by the Angus Beef Bulletin, we have news and information on health, nutrition, marketing, genetics, and management. So let's get to work, shall we? This is Shauna Hermel, editor with the Angus Beef Bulletin, and we are visiting this morning with Rebecca George, who is from over the pond, and Dan Mosier from K-State, and, and a fellow um, Angus enthusiast from way back, right, Dan? That's right. <laughs> Let's go ahead and, and just get a little bit of personal background for our audience, if we could. Dan, if you want to start out, if you could give us a little bit of, of history. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I'm now uh, the Associate Dean for Academic Programs at Kansas State University in the College of Agriculture. But I'm the sort of site coordinator for a program that goes back many years, uh, a partnership with the Angus Society of Australia. Back in the 1980s, my father-in-law, Dr. Dave Hawkins, started a program with Michigan State where uh, the Angus Society selected a student to come to Michigan State for a semester. And then when Dr. Hawkins retired, then that program moved to Kansas State. And so I think in 2013, we had our first Angus Society scholar visit Kansas State for the semester. And that's been going on ever since, of course, with a break for a couple of years. But uh, very excited to have Rebecca here in 2023. Wonderful. And Rebecca, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and kind of the program that you came from back home and uh, how, how you arrived here in the United States? Yes, of course. So back home in Australia, um, I'm from the central west of New South Wales, so about seven to eight hours west of Sydney, that, that's driving, and I grew up on my family's property where we have a mixed enterprise there with some broadacre cropping, um, we have meat sheep, and we also have a commercial herd of purebred Angus. So grew up in the central west there. Um, I then, I did my high school at boarding school uh, a bit closer to Sydney in a city called Bathurst. And from there, I then went to the University of New England, which is in Armidale. Um, Armidale is also the home of Angus Australia. So that ties in a little Wonderful. bit um, there. I got my, my degree there and um, growing up through the Angus Youth Program, the K-State Scholarship was always on my radar. Um, it, it's one of the big ones that you, you always aspire to for when you're a little bit older. And I applied in 2019. I was successful. And the plan was to be here in uh, 2020. So after a <laughs> we few- We had a change, didn't yeah, we? <laughs> definitely. We had a few COVID delays, um, but I was able to fulfill the scholarship in its original format this semester, which I was really grateful to be able to do. Wonderful. How did you become aware of the scholarship in Australia? Yeah, definitely. So growing up, I have been a youth member of Angus Australia since I was old enough to register, really. I started showing cattle at a really young age. I grew up next to an Angus stud. So I started going to um, the Angus Youth Roundup, which is their heifer show, and then a few other heifer shows that are organized on the Eastern Seaboard of Australia. And going through that program, I became more and more involved with Angus Youth and I sort of went on to join a few different committees, apply for some of the different scholarships and workshops that they offer for their university aged members. So coming through the ranks of that program and the different levels of scholarships and opportunities that they offer, you sort of, you learn about the bigger ones and, and you see your older peers go through them. So 
I was I was aware of the K-State scholarship from quite a, a young age Wonderful. and it was definitely one that I was like, oh, one day I'll apply for that and never never of course expecting to to actually be successful considering how many of my peers are applying for it year after year. So, it was always on the radar. Give us a little bit of perspective for Angus Australia as some of the members and your junior membership. How does that compare to maybe what we would find here in the United States? Yes, yeah, so in Australia, the the Angus Breed Society is probably, it's definitely the biggest, but their youth program is probably the most developed. And I imagine that that would have been heavily modeled off what you guys are doing here. They have their own um, employees and coordinator for the youth program and then they also have um, a committee of youth members that sort of sit as a like a board and discuss the current scholarships, if there's any additional money coming in through the foundation, what that's earmarked for. We discuss new opportunities that we want to provide to the youth and if there's anything that we're missing and, and whether we want to try and focus on a more commercial type of scholarship or we want to try and find something that's a bit more networking maybe for our our younger members that are sort of early high school that age there so it's it's definitely its own um, being under the Angus Australia umbrella and we're able to really cater to the the younger people in our breed and and try and offer as much as we can possible I was fortunate enough to sit on the Angus Youth Consolidative Committee for the the previous term just gone and it it's really exciting to be able to sit with we have a president and then a member from Angus Australia an employee that um, sits on with us and they take our recommendations to the board and and we sort of are able to being part of the youth program we're able to steer the ship I guess a little bit for for our peers and the next generation coming through. Well, it must be wonderful to be able to come get an international outlook and to be able to see how that, how it compares to your operations back home. What kind of differences are you finding between the U.S. and Australia? Oh, there's, I would say the, the biggest one that I noticed as soon as I got off the plane was the, the temperature. <laughs> Coming from uh, middle of January, I arrived the probably hottest part of our summer sure. and I landed in Denver straight into winter so I, <laughs> I walked out of the airport and realized my t-shirt wasn't going to cut it so um, this is your, the winter that I've experienced here is the coldest temperatures I've ever been in and stick around we can give yeah, you some of the hottest <laughs> yeah that's it I've, I've been enjoying the weather recently um, it's been much more like home that was probably the biggest difference straight off the bat all those little things driving on the wrong side of the road for me and there's definitely a lot of similarities especially in in the beef industry I think that Australia and, and the American beef industry have a lot of parallels for sure and there is definitely differences as well the biggest one that I've noticed that I perhaps didn't realize until I came here was the Australian market is much more export focused okay. um, we export a, a lot of our commodities not just beef whereas your domestic market is is definitely your main one and you have a lot more mouths to feed like it, the population difference between the two countries plays a major role in that and another difference that would probably fall uh, into the, the biggest category for me is we have a national RFID traceability system and that's something that's been in place for as long as I can remember so it's sort of very much comes naturally to me I couldn't imagine 
running a beef operation without it. So learn, learning that there's there's not a nationally mandated one here and, and how you do on-farm traceability and within the supply chain has been interesting. You bet. We have had some efforts and with K-State um, with the Cattle Trace program and, and hoping to get some voluntary identification. Is that something that you think would benefit our U.S. producers? I think it could, yeah, definitely. Our our traceability system, it uh, it's not that hard to execute once it is in place, as long as everyone is is doing their part. I think can be the hardest part for for making sure that that's running properly and each producer is responsible for their their own section in the database. So each producer will have a PIC, which is a property identification code. You log into the database and you're responsible for marking the animals that you bring onto your place and any any deaths and stuff like that you need to reflect that in the database and um, if you purchase cattle it is your responsibility to transfer those devices onto your pick where and then when you sell them you obviously chase up if if there's any issues if someone hasn't transferred those uh those cattle off so it's it's a it's a good system but everyone's got to do their part to make it work you bet does that give you access some to some analytics that you can use for your herd management um, in australia that we might not have access to here on farm i i guess it wouldn't be too different we use our rfid tags to do all of our data collection our animals are identifiable by by that. We have management tags that we put in them as well, and those numbers usually correspond with the um, NLIS device as well. So I, I guess it would be the same as just using management tags um, to, to do that, but it's definitely more streamlined through the supply chain. Okay. Um, in our sale yards, you can't send an animal into the sale yards without a tag so we will scan them onto the truck before they leave our place if someone's missing one then we go and get um the replacement tag put that in there's some paperwork to say this is the old tag this is the new one same animal and and fill in all those blanks if an animal does arrive to the sale yards without a tag it can't be sold you either have to come and put the new tag in there or it gets sent back so it it makes it easier for those guys they can unload a truck and and scan it off and it's all there they know who that animal is who it belongs to where it's come from now as far kind of going back to um, the program and what you do through your scholarship now that includes a semester or two here at Kansas State University yeah just the one semester so I've been in Manhattan since January for the spring semester okay Um, so I've been able to sit in on some classes Dan was was really great in helping me pick classes that reflected my personal interests and were specific to the beef industry as well as my undergraduate degree from Australia so I was able to really put together quite a custom schedule of things that I'm passionate about and find really interesting and sit in on those classes and and talk with my classmates and compare different things and and weigh in on different topics Um, it's been really interesting and and everyone has been really curious and I find that the students and teachers have been asking me as much just the same (laughs) amount of questions that I want to know from them so it's been really really interesting to be able to 
select units that are that specific in their topic. They're much more specific than the units that are offered through uni at home. So I really enjoyed being able to, to get into the nitty gritty of some topics. So which classes have you taken? So I've taken um, a, a little bit of a variety. I did cow-calf health systems, um, so focusing on a bit of reproduction there. I did three different units about nutrition, um, covering grazing and feedlot rations. I did two subjects that are a bit related to issues within ag, so contemporary issues in animal science and then climate change in agriculture. I was able to do the class that runs the bull sale at K-State, which I found really, really fun and interesting. That's popular class. <laughs> <laughs> it is, yeah, it's great. And I did one that's beef systems management, so very focused on running a, a beef production system and um, we did a lot on cash flow budgets, making that bottom line balance, as well as global food uh, leadership systems, which tied in quite nicely with my major in international agribusiness. Wonderful. So tell me a little bit on the beef cattle systems. What are some of the differences between the Australian beef system and what you would would go back home and implement on with your herd versus here and what might be the same if, if a producer were to go to your herd and visit what would surprise them and what would they think well gosh that's just what we do at home. I think the biggest surprise would be um, sheep. Okay. We, we have sheep at home a lot more sheep and and we co-graze and, and we run them together so I, I've noticed that, that here, particularly um, in Kansas and the area around Manhattan, the grazing systems that have beef, that's usually their only animal that they're grazing. Where at home, you'll find a lot more enterprises grazing both. Okay, um, and that would be a, a specific strategy, right? Where you would bring the sheep in after the cattle graze, or can you explain a little bit? Yeah, so you can, um, can co-graze them together. They obviously, um, Cattle and sheep have different types of grazing. Sheep can clean up quite closer to the ground, can pick things up off the ground a lot easier. They can also graze a paddock out very well. So you have to be a bit careful with that. You can also fit them into different rotational grazing types of things, depending on, on what grazing paddocks you have available and, and sort of what, what strategy you're working on there as well as calving or lambing seasons. For us, the big draw in having both is diversifying income streams. Uh, lamb is a big market at home, both export and domestic. I've noticed that in restaurants and in supermarkets, we tend to have a lot more lamb on the shelves than here. So by having both, we we're able to diversify income and, and cover a bit more bases there. So it, it does help when, when you're trying to balance that bottom line as well. Now, as far as the sires used, would that be pretty familiar to our breeders here? I think so. I think so, yeah. If an American breeder were to flip through some of our catalogues, I think they would find a lot of names they recognise. Australian seed stock producers import quite a lot of genetics from America and Canada. There's a lot of genetic companies that will come over here for tours. They will also bring some of their clients along, go visit, see, uh, see up and coming bulls in the flesh and, and sort of buy genetics and, and figure out what different, what different bulls and genetics are gonna fit into our market systems at home. So I think, yeah, American breeders would be very familiar with uh, the names in our catalogs. How about some of the priorities for genetics? What do you prioritize for fitting into the Australian system? Yeah, definitely. 
I think it depends on the producer. I know for my parents and in our personal experience, we used to, when I when I was younger, we used to cater more towards the domestic market, whereas now we sell our steers into a feedlot that is based in Queensland. So when we're looking at bulls and we're looking at our replacement females, we're very much thinking about that market. We're looking at 400 day weight. We're looking at marbling. We're, we're thinking beyond our own farm gate into what the, the stockyard beef company are looking in for our animals because we have established that relationship with them. So it really depends on what your target market is. And I've found recently, probably within the last five to 10 years, Australian beef producers have really honed in on, okay, what's my target market? And let's focus on those sort of traits that we need to meet these expectations. So, so you're already starting with that end target in mind when you breed the cow. Basically. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Okay. Trying to start that, that mindset and the target right at the very beginning so that everyone along the supply chain can hit their markers, hit their goals, make more money. Okay. How structured is it between the cow-calf producer and the feedlot and, and the packing industry compared to what it is here and what have you learned about our systems here in the U.S.? It varies a lot at home. I know my, my parents have a very well established relationship with the feedlot that our cattle go to um, and the, the company that owns the feedlot also owns the slaughterhouse and packing facility. Um, so that is quite an integrated relationship. We get sent kill data of our animals as well as induction data. So we can know, you know, if last year's steers performed a bit better than this year's. We can see those differences there. I imagine that there would be producers here in the US doing very similar things, trying to integrate the supply chain and, and make sure that everyone is winning. Whereas I think traditionally it would have been the same here as at home. They were very much separate separate entities we would take our cattle to the sale yards and then someone else would buy them and, and do what they needed to do with them and then sell them whereas it's becoming more of a flow and it's it's very similar here to at home I, I find that we're we're following similar tracks excellent now all of your time here hasn't been in the classroom and you're getting ready to go um, on some explorations with some herds tell us what's to come yet yeah, so um, we've been out to Green Gardens Angus and, and we're able to attend their bull sale, which was definitely a highlight uh, for me to, to see a sale. And the auctioneering is a lot quicker here than at home. <laughs> so it took me a few lots to get up to speed with that. The K-State bull sale was definitely a highlight as well. It drew in quite a crowd coinciding with Cattlemen's Day. So it was a very exciting day, not just for the class, but for, for everyone involved in animal science, definitely. I've, I've loved to come and, and visit the American Angus office here. I've had such a great day. It's been, it's been really exciting. And as the semester is wrapped up, I am uh, heading on a little, little bit of a tour, uh, mainly around the east coast of the state. So I'm visiting some friends and family along the way and um, yeah, seeing a bit more of this lovely country. Wonderful, wonderful. Now, Dan, this will be continuation with what, is this with Australia, Angus Australia? And so it's set up for one student every year, or how's that Yeah, work? that's that's the goal, Shauna, is to every year to have a student, and they'll be selecting the next K-State Scholar soon, and we'll start working on the paperwork.
paperwork uh, so that maybe it won't be quite as much of a rush as Rebecca was to get her visa and all that sort of thing. It was definitely something we, we did in a rush. But yeah, that it's an annual program that, we, that we'll have another student come probably in January of next year. And, and something that I really appreciate, it's been a joy to have Rebecca here. And to me, there's there's a real benefit to our K-State students, our resident students, to have the chance to interact with someone from another country that has the perspectives that she has of, of a different uh, production system and, and of our really our global food system. And, and so it's an honor to have her here, and, and, and our students certainly benefit from, from the interaction and to build those connections. Uh, you look at the, the list of students that were in the early part of the Michigan State program. Many of them are very influential in all aspects of, of uh, food production in Australia. And, and I know that the, the K-State students that we have recently and, and in the future will, will have the same kind of impact. And so it's great to, to build those connections, and I, and I think both, both countries and both parties will benefit in the future. Wonderful. If we have some young listeners who are saying, well, that's great that she gets to come to the U.S., how can I get to Australia and learn about Australia? Do we have some programs that go the other way to where our, our young producers can learn about the international global perspective. Yeah, I, I can speak for, for Kansas State, but most land-grant universities would have similar opportunities for study abroad, semester abroad type programs. I know at K-State that we have faculty-led trips to all parts of the globe, and some of those are two-week or three-week sort of trips, but we also have students that, that study abroad for a semester at a university. We actually have partnerships with several universities in Australia, so if they would like to go to Armadale to the University of New England, that's something that, that we could facilitate where a student from K-State goes there for a semester, takes a full uh, semester of classes and transfers that back. We currently have students in, in Ireland and students in France and last year we had a student in Uruguay that were studying international agriculture there. So those opportunities at, at really at any land-grant university, students are going to have the same opportunity if they would like to, to uh, travel abroad. So kind of summarize, what are the advantages and I'll let each one of you have a chance at this. What are the advantages of getting that global perspective and actually getting your boots on the ground in another country to see what the cattle industry is like in that country? Yeah, I love traveling and, and seeing different production systems. It's something I've had the opportunity to do quite a lot, both through university and through different programs, such as the one that I'm here on. And for me, getting boots on the ground, seeing how they, they work their cattle, how they run their production system. It, it really gives you the whole picture. And being from Australia and, and a producer in Australia, I have, have always grown up with quite a good understanding of how important export markets can be because they're incredibly important to us. So getting to travel and experience different production systems and how they approach similar issues or different issues, biosecurity is always one that is incredibly interesting to see how different countries manage that, especially diseases that are of global importance. I just, especially looking at other systems that may be producing the same products as us. When I was studying in my undergraduate degree, I was able to travel to South America. We spent some time in Argentina and Uruguay. Argentina and Brazil, when I think of the live export market of beef, they're probably our biggest competitors. So it was really interesting to be able to go and see 
their beef production systems and how they get from A to B and what they do differently and what they do similarly to us and and compare all that. And with travelling and different production systems comes different weather systems as well. So you might, you might go somewhere and think, wow, that's a really great way to do it and you, you go home and then look at your weather forecast and go, oh, it's not going to happen here, is it? So I find that really interesting as well. There are so many different things that influence how a country or even a region within a country approaches a production system. Wonderful. Thank you. Yeah, I just think from a from a food system perspective, it is fascinating. I love when I get to travel internationally. I always try to go to a grocery store and look at the products, and and some of them are very similar. Some some of the brands are very familiar. Uh, some of them are quite different too. And and then to to visit the operations and understand every place has their challenges, including here, and and, and they're sometimes similar, sometimes they're a bit different, but. The people are really the same uh, when you really get to the root of it, and, and that's the part that I really enjoy is is getting to meet the people involved in all aspects of food production, and and I think that it's really important for our students to understand the interconnectivity and, and to understand how you know there's really nothing more global than food production, and, and so anything we can do to build understanding across countries, I think, is is beneficial to all of us. Wonderful. Rebecca, Dr. Dan Moser, thank you for stopping by and visiting with Angus at Work today. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Listeners, to get more information to help make Angus work for you, check out the Angus Beef Bulletin and the Angus Beef Bulletin Extra publications. You'll find links to subscribe to both of those in our show notes. If you have questions or comments, please let us know at abbeditorial at angus.org. And we'd sure appreciate it if you would rate this podcast or leave a review to tell us what you learned or what was helpful and share this episode with any other profit-minded cattlemen. Thanks for listening. This has been Angus at Work.